Goff's three minute. Your story. Cause knowledge is. In 1907, President Teddy Roosevelt made the ultimate flex, ordering the U.S. Navy to sail a fleet of 16 warships on a 14-month, 43,000-mile journey around the world. This world tour would make 20 ports on six continents and show the world that the United States of America may walk softly, but we carried a big stick. The fleet was captained by Rear Admiral Fighting Bob Evans who commanded 16,000 sailors and marines on this circumnavigation. This trip let the world know that the U.S. was no longer an isolated country on the other side of the ocean, but an international force to be reckoned with. All 16 steam-powered battleships had been painted bright white, and they became known as the Great White Fleet. The reasons for such an audacious show of power lay in a series of proactive measures the U.S. was looking at. We wanted to convey that we could protect our interests abroad as well as defend ourselves in the event that anyone wanted to test us. In 1898, following the Spanish-American War, the U.S. gained the Philippines and Guam in the Pacific and Puerto Rico in the Atlantic. A few years later, we established our military base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba to help protect Americans building the Panama Canal. A bigger issue that would come to head decades later with the bombing of Pearl Harbor had its roots during this time. In 1906, President Roosevelt helped mediate the Treaty of Portsmouth, which ended the Russo-Japanese War. While Japan had defeated the Russian Navy and won the war, they felt slighted when the terms of the treaty were released. This began a growing dislike for Americans by the Japanese. While at the same time, anti-Japanese sentiment rose on the West Coast. Roosevelt did his best to keep relations relaxed between the two, as he realized that the majority of the U.S. fleet was based in the Atlantic, and if a war with Japan broke out, we'd have to pull forces from the Philippines and hope to hold them off until the Atlantic ships could get there. And so, with both the acquisition of new international ports and the looming threat of Japanese aggression, Roosevelt decided a show of force was needed to prove America was ready, willing, and able to defend herself. Another reason was the president wanted to test his fleet. Quote, I want all failures, blunders, and shortcomings to be made apparent in time of peace and not in time of war. The president played his plan for a world tour close to the chest. He didn't even inform his cabinet. His plan was not popular for many different reasons, ranging from people thought it would weaken our standing fleet to it would encourage the Japanese into a war. Initially, all sailors knew is they were steaming through the Straits of Magellan in South America to the west coast. Once underway, they found out they were going to return home through the Pacific into the Suez Canal, through the Mediterranean, and then across the Atlantic. While at sea, sailors spent time with their normal duties, and in their downtime, they were playing cards, billiards, sitting around the player piano, and even were shown silent movies. Duties on board were not bad unless you were a member of the Black Gang. Since the ships were steam-powered, they had a boiler heated by coal. Every two weeks, the ship would port to make, take on coal. This would take several days, and the ship would take on close to 2,000 tons of coal apiece. After a coal refuel, the whole ship had to be scrubbed inside and out to get rid of the black coal dust that settled everywhere. The Black Gang was the nickname given to the crew responsible for shoveling these black diamonds of coal into the firebox, fueling the boiler which powered the ship. Coal dust would cover them in short order, leaving them black from head to toe in coal soot. The Great White Fleet made a series of ports of call with many memorable events, including a massive bar fight with the natives in Rio, a nine-day birthday celebration for George Washington in Kalao, Peru, luau's in Hawaii, 
and even a key to the city presented to the fleet in Melbourne, Australia, as well as the avoidance of a major cholera epidemic in Manila. Japan, in whom Roosevelt had wanted to make his show of force known, could not have been more accommodating. Flag officers stayed at the Imperial Palace while ship captains were put up in the ritzy Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, and all sailors were issued free railroad passes to travel around while in port. The Marines returned the favor. During an accidental fire during a celebration, a Marine climbed atop an arch to save the Japanese flag from going up in flames. He was then paraded around town on the shoulders of the Japanese as a hero. When the fleet sailed out of Tokyo Harbor, Japanese and U.S. relations could not have been better, and the concerns the U.S. had were greatly diminished. The fleet celebrated Christmas 1908 in the Indian Ocean, and while sailing the Suez, got word of an earthquake in Sicily. Several ships broke off from the fleet and went to offer aid in the recovery effort, while the rest of the fleet split up around the Mediterranean, only to meet a few weeks later at the Straits of Gibraltar for their final shot across the Atlantic. Many changes were made following this 14-month endeavor. Ships began being painted battleship gray versus the white of the current fleet. Ventilation was improved, fire control features were added, and larger water displacement was utilized to keep ships more sound in rough seas. These were just a few of the recommendations that were overhauled following the world tour. The voyage was hailed as a huge success, and as Roosevelt had hoped, both eased tensions with Japan while giving the world a look at the growing American might. While Americans still upheld its isolationist foreign policy set forth with the Monroe Doctrine, the world would now recognize that America was an internationally minded machine capable of holding its own, and as one sailor in the fleet said, we just wanted to let the world know we were prepared for anything they wanted to kick up. We wanted to show the world what we could do. Class dismissed. This podcast, written, produced, and narrated by Isaac Goff in wild, wonderful Wart County, West Virginia. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs>